welcome to the ninth Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. The theme of the show today is women in construction. I'm going to be chatting with Jane Duncan, architect who runs her own practice and past president of the RIBA. In addition to championing diversity in the profession around the world, she's a passionate campaigner on the issue of building safety. I also meet Karen Boom, an electrician who runs her own company. She's electric. Amongst other things, she's currently working on some exciting projects to make working in the trades accessible to women. We'll also be hearing from Inesh Santos, Womanthology's associate editor, who's going to be talking us through the written stories in the new issue. So welcome to the Womanthology podcast, Jane Duncan. How are you doing, Jane? I'm fine, thank you very much. Despite everything, I think it's probably the answer. Oh, well, we've got it all going on, haven't we? Let's try and make some sense today. So I'm going to go straight in with the questions. So Jane, we've known you pretty much since Womanthology started. So we're going back to 2014 now, which seemed like a whole lifetime away. It is. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so we've interviewed you before, but for the people who missed that, I will put a link in to the uh, to the notes that go with the podcast but for the people that missed that could you just give us a bit of a recap of your educational background and your your illustrious career to date yes I can do a quick resume it's an awfully long so I'll shorten it a bit so I, I, I grew up in North London and went to local grammar school I was the first girl who ever said they wanted to study architecture so they thought I was mad because at my school at the time you either did teaching or nursing or they didn't really want to know. But anyway, I found my own way, had a um, local friend who took me to the Barclay to show me his studio, and that was it. I wanted to go there. And luckily, I got an interview and then got taken on and went all the way through my training at the Barclay, which is University College London. Uh, had the best time, absolutely loved it. it. was quite bonkers, I think. Came through, went to, uh, well, went to Edinburgh actually, got married and then worked for some lovely, lovely architectural practices in, in Edinburgh before we moved back down to London. And I did my professional training then in London, um, working for a big engineering company with 44,000, I think 4,000 architects worldwide, so William Halkrow and Partners. And I, I can't for the life of me remember why, but they voted for me at the age of 23 to be their union rep for the whole of the architects in there. You, you could see where that was going, couldn't you, for the future? And then I uh, worked for a one-man band, and I passed my part three exams and went to see him and said, right, I did rather well, actually, so I'd like to have a partnership, please. And um, he, I think he sort of laughed. Um, so I handed my resignation in and set up my practice on my own. And um, I sort of never, look, never looked back, actually. I don't think anybody would want to employ me now. And uh, Sure, that's not true, Jane. It, oh, I think it is. I'm awful. And I've been gradually, gradually, gradually growing in my own architectural practice ever since. We're now multidisciplinary, so we have architecture and interior design and other bits when we need it. And um, we go up and down between sort of 18 and 20 people in the practice. So 
it's a lovely area we're living in Buckinghamshire our um, workload is principally all around the shires and into London and um, since the last recession actually we've, we've really concentrated our marketing on sort of high-end residential so we have clients for whom we can make dreams come true building them gorgeous things so we have a lot of fun it's a very very tough world because dealing with people about with their own houses is uh, needs a lot of hand holding but actually you know you can do really creative work and they like it so we've had a great deal of fun and in the meantime i've done lots of other things so i'm not really a one trick pony so i've done loads of other things whilst i was doing that i suppose the highlights for me are running a salsa club which i did for um, 10 years with three girlfriends locally which I miss because I don't do it anymore and there's no dancing anymore it's all stopped um, you can do it online but I'm sorry that doesn't work for me yeah it's not the same no it's not the same and then I've done work for my local community I've worked for probably 15 years with my local community um, action group trying to get revitalization projects underway in the local area that's torturous but we've managed to get some things done and then the big one, the big one was the RIBA. And uh, that's sort of taken over a huge amount of my life in the last 20 years. And it started with me going to a seminar actually in Oxford for small practice, small practice bosses. And I went along and everybody was moaning about they didn't get enough money being paid for fees. It was too expensive. La, la, la. And um, I stood up and said, what earth are you talking about? You've practiced for, you've got 10, 10 years experience or 15 years experience. You add huge amounts of value to your clients' properties. You should know your worth and charge it and just have confidence. And the person running the conference sort of tapped me on the shoulder afterwards and said, Jane, will you come and join my group at the RIBA, please? And so, and I did. Um, so she blames herself entirely for everything from that point onwards. And I, I just have loved being involved because you're right at the front end of what's going on with the development of the profession and went right the way through running the small practice group then taking on 15 core member groups as vice president practice and then two really big jobs one was becoming the um, a board member and the um, equality and diversity champion for the riba which is where i caught up with you first and then i stood to become president and um I was basically on an EDI, EDI wicket. It was quite interesting that I got in on the basis of the fact that we needed to make the profession more diverse and more inclusive. Um, and there we go. So I had just straight run through my career and straight run into the other part of my career, which is working for the Institute. And I'm still doing it. I'm still working for the Institute. And they're very lucky to have you. <laughs> I keep telling them that, yeah. <laughs> but it's not the profession though it's people who actually will put their money where their mouth is and they will get involved and so that meeting that you mentioned so you'll get involved and it's not just a talking shop it's actually right okay i'm going to get involved i'm going to sit on a committee i'm going to do this we're actually going to affect some positive change mm. i don't I, I mean I, I do like having meetings and talking to people as you can probably guess chatting isn't a problem but if i'm going to put lots of voluntary time in I want to make sure that we're going to get something out of it. So I don't think I, I would not qualify myself as a minimalist volunteer. Um, I don't go for lunch. I don't go for the chat. I go so that we can do things. 
And so all the way through my work at the Institute, I've done lots of projects to make a change to the industry and profession and architects and documents and knowledge and business skills and everything. So it's, that's, that's really what it's all about. I'm a bit, just a bit of a doer, you know. Absolutely. And what was it like during your tenure as president? So what were the different things you got to experience? So because obviously it's a global organisation. I guess there were two, two, two or three things that were not so good. And pretty much everything else was amazing. So the, and one of them actually was both amazing and awful. My first year of presidency, um, I chaired the panel that gave Zaha had the, the Royal Gold Medal for architecture. And that was a complete joy because she'd been a, a hero for most of my most of my working life, actually. And she was so happy. And she she and I got to know each other. We went out to lunch. We chatted. She said, it's only a woman that would ever have done this. The men are too scared of me. And we had the most wonderful evening at the Institute where she was literally beaming from ear to ear. She was so happy about it. And then just a few weeks later, she was dead. And so within a few weeks, I was I had gone from celebrating with the world this fantastic icon of an architect um, to being uh, rushed over to the BBC World Service and being interviewed without any preparation whatsoever um, about who she was and, and what she was like and the sort of work that she did and her background and everything. Luckily, I knew a little bit and I met a lot of her staff and family and it was it was ghastly. She was she was much too young. She was really really getting known worldwide, but her influence is enormous. So, you know, she's she's had a fantastic legacy, but that's no that's no help to her family. You miss her terribly, of course. No, and a huge loss to the profession. Massive, massive loss as well. So that was that was a sort of an up and a down, and then the other two downs were Brexit, that happened in the middle of the presidency um, and sort of hit us on the face because it was going to be there was so much impact from what was going on. And then the last and by no means, Elisa's Grenfell Tower, which happened right at the end of my presidency, in which I had to jump onto and set up a, a, a panel of ex architect experts at the Institute to advise members of the implications and deal with government and lobby and advocate for, for change. And that's the that, that's the project that's still continuing today. But that's those those are the bad things. The good things were I just had the best time almost in my life really. I travel around the world, I went to places I'd never been before. I met so many people, I've now got friends literally around the globe. And I I've been made an honorary fellow at the American Institute and we go my husband and I go every year to their huge conventions with tens of thousands of architects and all the mates that I met who were presidents of other institutes around the world they all converge on those things and we just have a most fantastic party every year so you know from a, from a personal perspective it's been amazing but also the connections that we've made have been really really effective as well because we can call on all of these people if something happens here like Grenfell I got in touch with everybody I wanted to know about their regulation, wanted to know about you know, had they had fires of an equivalency there and all of these sort of things. So the connections really do work. And apart from anything else, it was just lovely 
meeting loads and loads of architects and and going to see their work you know it's a, it's a privilege huge privilege i'm just some little provincial architect you know and these were my heroes whose work i was looking at it was and, and to a certain extent still continuing so i recommend it anybody off thinking about it just go for it wow what a job i think there's nothing like seeing meeting with people in their own space as well you can meet people over here but if you are actually traveling internationally and you're getting to go those bonds are, they are like really strong aren't they they're they're strong bonds and but they're also what you realize going all the way around the world and meeting people from all over the place is that we're all so similar architects face exactly the same issues all the way around the world you know changing legislation clients who don't want to spend the money that you know they should so many things we have in common it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from and basically we have the same issues and the same joys so we're absolutely a community architects around the world are um, quite a tight community it's great it's lovely so when we last interviewed you the stats for diversity were 16 percent of chartered architects were women how are we doing on that now well i think it's gone up um as i would have hoped it would be i mean the there's a there's a difference between those architects who become members of the riba and are therefore chartered architects and those architects who don't join the uh, institute but register as architects all architects have to register from the registered architects there's a a great growth there's a large growth i think it's because there was a huge influx of um, european architects and that's swollen the numbers but it's been it's been gradually increasing. I mean, it's certainly increased much faster over the last five years than it did over the last 20, probably. So chartered members, I don't know that I could tell you today's figures. I'm not sure I've got them, but they're probably around the tw- early to low 20s yep. um, as a percentage. So it's better than it was. Um, yes, definitely much better. The issues now are slightly different. We now have uh, almost 50% uh, men and women that come to become students of architecture. The issue for me is that there, there's a drop-off and there's a drop-off that seems to start very early on in people's careers. They, they study architecture and then they sort of disappear. I don't think it's just that women are staying home to have families or are not going back to work. I think it, there's something else going on and uh, there's probably some research that's already been done to have a look at why. And we did at some point look at you know sort of a culture of long hours and that doesn't suit people that have care care commitments or in fact lives there are other things as well and then there has been there's been gender pay gaps and other things but that's one thing i have to say that has happened in terms of the gender issues or in fact all diversity issues in the last five years since i was in took the presidency is the riba is is really really active up they are now actually leading the profession there's so many initiatives and they are so brilliant and all the sort of little ideas that we formulated with the group early on they've all come to pass there's so much going on there now they, they want you to sign up to an inclusion charter we've set up role model projects with um architects and all the protected groups to show people yes i can do it you can do it too so we're trying to open the profession up We've got role model practices. 
So these are practices who really, really understand inclusion and, and, and treat their staff like they're human beings. And uh, it's so important these people are instead sort of showing others you can be very successful, very productive, and still look after people well. And I think that's spreading. I think that message is definitely out there. But apart from that, there's also, there's also some very targeted stuff on different groups. So there's, there's, a, there's been a huge amount of celebration of, of um, black architects and black, black awareness months. And there's uh, work that's been done particularly for people with disabilities who want to get into the profession. Um, there's mentoring guidance for all sorts of different people. That was something that I set up very early on, but it's been so successful and so well run. And the other lovely thing, of course, is the current president, Alan Jones, his ticket to get into the presidency was about social mobility, which links absolutely to the whole of this diversity issue. So he's carrying on the, the work that we did doing, um, opening up the pressure for more people to come in, make it accessible to, to more people. The architecture apprenticeships got kicked in. So, you know, there's lots of different ways into the profession if you want to. And then there's a voice to tell people, look, it's a really great job. It's very challenging, but, you know, you can make it. And one of the principal partnerships that I've been really, really enjoying is working with Stephen Lawrence Trust. And their CEO is just amazing, Sonia. And uh, we've been working very closely in the RIB with them to try and really open the profession up for more people to come in. So things are moving. It's not perfect. It's nowhere near perfect, actually. But do you know it's getting there? I'm, I'm very proud of them. Well, and, and you should be as well, absolutely, because I say I, I remember back to uh, it was your hustings. I think it was your hustings for your presidency, wasn't it? I remember yeah. like, really clearly like it was yesterday oh, and dear. how passionate you were and still are. So that's great that you're mm -hmm. still in the system and you're still super passionate about what's going on. So good news. And mm -hmm. in terms of uh, less good news, so COVID-19, we, we, we're talking about this constantly, as you, as you might imagine, in the, across the different professions. But how would you say it's impacted architecture and construction more broadly? So thinking about things here like changes to the way planning is taking place. I think it's affected architecture practice in, in a whole raft of different ways. You asked about planning. I'm at the front line running, you know, running, running projects within an architecture practice. And every day it's a struggle with planning. But fair enough. You know, we've got a pandemic. Um, the planning departments have had staff on furlough. They've had people working from home. So junior case officers who take projects failed to manage their caseloads and be supervised properly. Fair enough. But everything takes so long. And some of the some of the issues that you need to deal with somebody senior on, you find it very difficult. And so instead of you know, getting a conversation for pre-application and then getting on with the application and then getting a result all sort of within three or four months. It's now taking the best part of a year. And that's very difficult. That's extremely difficult. The, the government, of course, is trying to make things easier by having more what they call permitted development schemes. So you can do things with that supposedly without planning consent. But what you actually have to do is you have to write to the planning department and ask them to assess your application in advance of them telling you you can do it without planning. And that takes weeks. So the whole thing's a bit bananas. I think the other the other big thing, of course, is that depending upon what your workload is, it's affected practitioners a lot. Small practitioners and the smaller practices 
who I think are a little bit more agile. You know, they probably don't have huge overheads, can work from home or have been working from home uh, pretty comfortably, tend to be, I think, riding this a little better. Certainly we noticed, you know, after the first three or four months when things went very quiet, luckily we were still very busy from, with previous projects and we still had things that were continuing on site with COVID measures in place. But what we found is that suddenly there was this sort of opening of doors and hearts and things. And certainly within the domestic market, uh, there's, this, there's been a flood of inquiries. People having to you know, be at home all the time, that's, they certainly see the things that need to be changed. So, um, I mean, and I say changed, I mean, it's anything from we've got to add uh, you know, a garden room to work from to um, although we want to knock this house down and have another one please and um, which works better for us and people are, have had time I think to think about climate change and the impact on their lives are certainly all the David Attenborough stuff everything is sort of coming together you know to, to make people think about the environment and a lot more so you know the call for really sustainable building is, is getting stronger and stronger and jolly good too. So there, there, there have been large practices with commercial clients that have disappeared off the planet and there have been small practices who are busy. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange old world, I think, with COVID. And, and how would you say in terms of the construction side of things? So I was reading about skill shortages and that a lot of the uh, construction side of things male kind of older people that are retiring now i don't find anybody retiring i mean sort of it's it's impressive how many people are just continuing in one guise or another so there was a skill shortage i think and everybody was a little worried about the skills shortage and we of course lobbied government say you know perhaps you might think that there's 50% of the UK actually are women and you're not really using them in construction. Perhaps you'd like to set up some courses or do something. And it's happening, but very slowly. Uh, but actually, I think what's happening at the moment is that there's been a slowdown in the number of construction projects still running in the number of um, projects being commissioned, certainly from abroad. And perhaps the skills shortage is sort of balancing, being balanced a little bit by that. On the other hand, there's still HS2, which everybody seems to go on quite quiet about. I'm impacted because it's in my local area. And, you know, that, that's a project which is massive, having a massive impact, probably. And so, Jane, you're a passionate campaigner around building safety. So we touched upon that a little bit earlier. Um, mm. but, but in terms of what's, what's going on there, what's the current there, what's needed there, what would you say? Okay, now you appreciate this is my real high horse at the moment. So if I jump on it, you have to come and hold the reins. Um, what I saw and what the whole country saw on June 14th, 2017, was far too close to home. It was terrible. We could have known the people in that building. We, they were, They were us. It was the most awful thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I haven't stopped, to be honest, since then, trying to get both our profession and the industry to do the right thing by these people. I'm still fighting, there's so many issues. It isn't, there's, this, there's 
as you open the box, the sort of Pandora's box of issues, that well, you, some of it's coming out in the inquiry, but perhaps not everything, you realise what a, what's happened to the construction industry in these sort of larger projects and social projects. And then you find reports that have been written about other buildings and how many hundreds of errors have gone unnoticed in them, errors which affect people's safety. So, you know, fire stopping between floors, it doesn't happen, nobody's checked it. Edinburgh Schools report, I don't know if you've got to see or hear of that, but literally the, the side of a building, the cladding, fell to the floor and it happened 40 minutes before there was going to be a string of 30 toddlers. They probably would have been killed and what they, what they found was that they, they hadn't fixed the, 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 the brickwork properly, they hadn't been tied into the building and nobody had watched it. And since then there have been many more studies and you find there's a construction industry that has been stripped down to below profit margin actually and the, the struggle is one which means that quality goes out the window and that's what ha has happened I think to create the perfect storm for um, fire and there have been a lot of fires and even in the last year there have been a lot of fires we haven't had a death toll that we had at Grenfell, thank goodness, but there's so much that needs to be done within the industry to co correct the the way that building work is procured and the way that I think clients have to, to take responsibility for not wanting to pick the cheapest cost and then drive it down more because what comes out of the bottom of that is the quality. So if you have no consultants, you can't afford consultants, you can't afford people on site, you can't afford the good subcontractors, you can only afford the cheap ones. You know, you get what you pay for, you, you pay peanuts and that's the result. So we've got, a, we've got a big cultural issue to overcome, but there's also a big regulatory issue. The regulations are impenetrable, gamed by people to try and cut costs. And uh, I, one of my huge pieces of advocacy at the moment is, is looking at what happened to the regulations? Why did why did we get to the point where people were able to get away with stuff which, to be honest, shouldn't be possible if you've got a set of regulations which are clear and say don't have things on the outside of the building that are like petrol will go up, like you know, a firework. There are issues there. There, there are there's history there with government not making changes to regulations when they were told to do so by coroners the previous fires, there are other issues where people are just perhaps not fully competent to take on the roles which they're given. So there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done for the industry, but also we do need, in my opinion, we need really, really good base level, simple building regulations and simple guidance so that people can say, I can do this, but I can't do that. And, and that's it. And then there's a responsibility issue. The big one is accountability. You can't spend your life in the construction industry saying, oh, nothing to do with me, mate. He did it, he did it, he did it. Actually, we're all responsible. And we're all implicit in what's happened at that Grenfell Tower um, to a smaller or larger extent. So we have to do something about it. And that's what I'm trying to do. Well, can we keep in touch with you about it, Jane? Is that okay? Yeah, of course you can. So we absolutely support everything that you're doing. Thank you. That's a, it's, a, it's appreciated. It, the outcome, I hope will be 
that we do get the right regulation, that we do change the culture. The government is trying to put a, a new structure in place to sort of manage it, but the truth is it's very large, it's very unmanageable at the moment. We can work on it together as an industry if people want to do it. Absolutely. So, um, Jane, so what is coming up next for you? What are you looking forward to? Other than getting back to uh, the dance lessons as well. What, what else? Yeah, dancing. <laughs> dancing. I'm um, seeing my family, cooking huge dinners for loads of people. That's what I want to do. I, I can't see beyond that. I mean, I've got, lots of, I've got lots of bits of advocacy and work that I'm doing. I'm having fun doing things. I'm judging lots of awards and that's really good it's really good fun I enjoy it but it's sort of momentary things um for me the the world won't really settle down until I can get back to seeing people that I love yes so I think I think we're, we're, we're with you there absolutely it's it's just the, the strangest feeling and then with this kind of second wave of but it, it's about keeping people safe isn't it I think it's it I just feel very sorry for people that don't have you know the stability of a job still because that actually sort of that dictates how well you run your life doesn't it you can you can hang things on a job you get you get a day that works and um you may you may when you're not working be concerned about things but you need people to talk to sometimes your work colleagues are there and they're they're good to talk to sometimes it's lovely i mean i'm very lucky i've got a gorgeous husband and i talk to him a lot poor chat He's put up with me for an awful long time, so he must be used to it by now. I think he's going deaf, which probably helps. But I mean, if you don't, if you don't have you know, sort of a close pal or a close family member or somebody you can, you know, share stuff with, it must be tough. I think there's Zoom fatigue, isn't there, as well? So that that's that's a thing now. So obviously we're talking on Zoom now, loving Zoom as much as we do. But it's a different type of meeting, isn't it, where you're actually having to kind of frame your frame your features in a certain way, and you're having to kind of. I don't. I'm afraid. I just I just turn it on, and you get what you get. You know. <laughs> well it's an absolute pleasure speaking with you jane as i say so we will keep in touch with you and uh, all the issues that you're working on as well i think the profession is really incredibly lucky to have the benefit of your experience and also just as a great role model for uh, others in the profession and and hopefully for other women to follow in your footsteps as well um, i'll tell you something we need more women presidents at the institute we definitely do We've had 178 or something presidents. Only three of them have been women. That's not enough. We need 172 others. Come on, let's equal it out. <laughs> right. Okay. So that is a that is a shout out to all the RIBA eligible. Yep. Now, what what was the criteria for being eligible, Jane? Just to check. For, you need for to presidency. be. You really need just to be a chartered member of the RIBA and you put yourself forward. You you can I think you can actually put yourself forward if you're an honorary fellow as well. There hasn't been one of those. Mostly you're an architect and mostly you've done something with the RIBA so you know a little bit about it and that's, that's enough. And then you've got the passion and the drive, the, the oomph, really. Right, so calling calling all female architects, calling all female architects. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> we do. We have, we've got a new, we just had an election for the next president to start next September he was a lovely guy who I've known a long time and I'm sure he's going to do a grand job. But despite the fact that I love him, if it was a woman, I'd, I think it would be better. 
well let's make that let's make this our mission so the next yeah, time the we next speak one. with you yeah well next time we speak with you we will hopefully have, have, have this could be the start of the big flurry let's make it happen thank you so much jane you take care and you look after yourself Hello, my name is Ines Santos, I am the Associate Editor for Womanfology and here I am to tell you all about our new issue, Women in Construction. The stories include Heather Beanie, an environmental advisor at construction company NMCN PLC, discusses how her employer is striving to be both environmentally friendly and diverse. She tells us about their positive impact plan and their diversity network, which she founded. Molly Sander, a water production manager for United Utilities, shares with us the story of the time she spent in Nicaragua to deliver clean water and the whole engineering process behind it. Emma Lindley, Housing Strategy Lead Officer at Asheville District Council, tells us how councils and other organizations are working together to tackle issues like homelessness and domestic violence through housing strategy. An architect with a passion for inclusive design and sustainability, Vela Morrison, talks with us about the challenges of living an inclusive life and how she is supporting inclusive design. Vela also tells us about her new website, The Inclusive Home, and the hashtags she created to encourage people to share the inclusive experiences, ideas, and hacks. The hashtag is inclusivechic. Check it out! Dana Walker, founder and CEO of Built by Us, talks about her award-winning social enterprise, which exists to actively champion greater balance and inclusion in the construction sector. Also, surveyor Jessica Tabibi talks about running two businesses, a property management company and a surveying practice. The early careers and training coordinator at St. Maudwin Homes, Alison Tucker, tells us about the virtual work experience scheme she's introduced aimed at getting more women into construction in partnership with her previous employer, Women Into Construction. Finally, Joanne Miller, Employability Manager at Nottingham City Homes, talks to us about championing gender balance on apprenticeship schemes. Do check out our website www.womanfology.co.uk to read the full stories. And that is all for me. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast, Karen Boom of She's Electric. Electricians, how are you doing, Karen? Yeah, I'm good. I've, I've got a few down days this week because I've got some production to do for a, a fundraiser that I'm involved with. So I'm actually enjoying spending a few days at home rather than being out on the tools. And especially because it's raining, I'd probably be booked for an outside job if I was at work. So yeah, it's quite good. Oh yeah, inside with a nice brew. That's what we need. Yeah. So, pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. So, let's kick off by finding out about your educational background and your career to date. Um, okay, well, I think it's fairly typical. I had no clue what I wanted to do when I left school. The careers advisor asked me what I was good at. I said, well, I'm good at typing and I'm good at English. She said, 
oh, you need to be a medical secretary. And I was like, okay. So I got one year into that course and I, I was so bored and I've got a very low boredom threshold. So I was like, nah. So I went back and she said, well, what else do, what do you actually like doing? And I was like, I quite like cooking. She said, well, you should go to catering college then. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And um, I absolutely loved catering college. I did a, a, a BTEC diploma in hotel and catering management and it was brilliant. And then I was going to go on and, and do a degree. Um, and in some holidays, I got a temping job because I could type. So um, I ended up actually in a plumber's merchants. They had branches nationally and I did some typing for them and they were like oh we really like you will you stay and I was like but I don't want to be a typist so the branch manager said well what do you want to do I said I don't really know but I'm quite attracted to the industry have you ever had a trainee he said no but I'll find out if we can have a trainee <laughs> so I kind of created my own job I like that and um oh it was fantastic I started off in the warehouse and then they let me loose on the trade counter and then I progressed into the office, did a little bit of sales, a little bit of purchasing. So I was learning business from the ground up. And then we, they decided to go um, sales order, entry, computerized. And they needed people who would form part of an implementation team and travel the country, basically showing people in the other branches how to operate the computer system. And I was single at the time because obviously it involved quite a lot of traveling. So I thought, oh, why don't I just apply? I never really expected to get accepted, but I did. So that was fantastic. So they gave me a company car and an expense account. And I (laughs) I felt quite important. (laughs) Anyway, so I did that job for for several years. And then obviously I'm, I'm going back now in the days before Google, in the days before, you know, everybody had their own computer. But then the IT wave really hit, didn't it, with the, like, Microsoft Office came along and that revolutionised IT, I think. Um, So I trained to be a Microsoft certified trainer and they got a job in London doing training, which I loved, um, worked for some really big companies. And then I got headhunted by a law firm, a global law firm, um, to, to join their training department which I did and loved. And I traveled the world, you know, the, the most obscure place I've been to is, is Uzbekistan. I wouldn't recommend you go there. It's not really that great. But then they merged with another law firm. So I got promoted to global IT training manager, which sounds very posh. And then I realized that I wanted to start a family. And I knew that that wasn't the job that I was going to go back to because yeah, there was too much traveling. So I actually got a job earning more money with less responsibility for a bank, which was great. And I had a really nice year there. And then I kind of gave up my career to have a family. Um, But I've always done loads of voluntary work. I also, whilst I was off with my family, I trained to be um, a personal trainer and I used to specialise in postnatal exercise before it was trendy to be fit when you were pregnant. Yeah, so I've done loads of stuff. And then, long story short, what actually happened was 10 years ago, my best friend emigrated to Vancouver and asked me to look after her house while it was being rented out. And it was the first time that I'd actually had to look for an electrician in my entire life. So I was just a little bit shocked and a little bit disheartened by you know, the level of service. And also, I just, I felt really stupid because they were talking to me in language that I didn't understand. And um, I was like, oh, is there just a gap in the market for somebody to do what they say they're going to do 
not make you feel like an idiot and turn up, you know, when they say they will. Sounds so quite I, simple. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I set off trying to find out how I could find out more about getting into the industry. And it was incredibly, incredibly difficult because I'm too old to be uh, an apprentice, or I was then. So I, I was having a little bit of a midlife crisis. I'd just hit 40. I was too old to be an apprentice. Who was going to take me on anyway as a 40-year-old woman? And the thing is, I kind of did a little bit of research and there was, I found about two other female electricians out there on the internet. I mean, obviously I am going back 10 years. So I found that there was no real role models. There was nobody who had done what I wanted to do that I could even ask for advice. So I kind of set about finding a course, which I did. And then I realised that I'd been taught to pass exams rather than actually understand what I was supposed to be doing. So I did kind of have a little bit of a meltdown and I was thinking, oh, I've got all these bits of paper now, what am I going to do? So I actually, what I did was I employed myself as an apprentice. And what I mean by that is I found another spark who had quite a lot of experience, but he was very quiet. I was getting inundated with inquiries because I know quite a lot of people in my local community and they, the, the, the jungle drums were rumbling and everyone's going, oh yeah, Karen, she's trying to be an electrician and everybody needs an electrician, right? So we worked together. I kind of like subbed out a lot of work to him so that I could get real life, you know, on the job experience. And it's just snowballed from there, really. Now I'm 10 years down the line. And yeah, if you'd have told me 11 years ago that I was going to retrain to be an electrician, I wouldn't have believed you. But however, it's been... It's been an amazing 10 years. I have to say, I've, I, I don't regret it at all. So but leaving this security of this IT career that's, you know, quite a safe role, really. And then yes. literally to, because to, knowing what I know about being self-employed, it's not an easy life. No, it's, it's really not an easy life. And there have been times where I've been halfway to the local tip, intending to chuck all my tools in a skip, you know. Can you sometimes... And it's hard out there doing a re you've got a, you know to some people you are the fourth emergency service you know it's it there's no better feeling than helping people i mean when i was um when i was 19 20 i actually wanted to join the police force and i became a special constable which was brilliant um but i couldn't apply to be a policewoman because i was too short because i'm only five foot yeah and there was There was a height restriction in place in those days. So I was gutted, but I still, I carried on being a special for a few years and I really loved it. Now I get a real kick out of helping people. So this in a way, you know, fulfills that need that I've got because I'm always helping people, whether it's, you know, loss of power or preventing a fire. Yeah. And I get to meet lots of people. So, and I am quite a people person. So for me, it's almost like, my career up to that point was getting me ready because I used quite a lot of skills. I mean, what people don't understand about when you're self-employed is you have to do everything, you know, you have to do the account, you have to do the marketing, your IT. You, have to, you have to be your own counsellor, you know, you have to kind of like, you are, it, it draws onto so many different skills. Um, it's unbelievable, really. And yeah, the people sometimes just don't understand how difficult it is however I couldn't go back to working for someone else now I like being my own boss if that makes sense so it's a bit of a roller coaster and some days it's good and some days it's not so good but I wouldn't change it in terms of dare I ask you 
COVID-19. What impact has that had on your business? Okay, so when we first went into lockdown back in March, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, because it's my daughter's 18th birthday. She had a lockdown 18th birthday, which was quite tricky. Yeah, did she? She found that really quite upsetting because it's something to look forward to, isn't it? Your 18th birthday. But anyway, that's another story. But I I work quite often with another spark. And we decided to furlough ourselves for like three weeks, which we did. It was quite weird actually standing still and stepping outside of the business for a while because we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't help anybody. And anyway, the phone just stopped ringing, which was, you know, slightly concerning. However, I think after the three weeks, Boris said, don't go to work, but do go to work, but do go to work if you can't work from home. In any way, if you're in construction, it doesn't really matter. Just do what you want. My phone rang and rang and rang and rang and rang that day because I think people, A, people were going a bit stir crazy, staring at four walls. B, nobody could go on holiday. And I think everybody was just like, oh, let's get a hot tub. Oh, let's put a summer house at the bottom of the garden. Oh, let's convert the loft. Oh, let's put some new lights in the garden. And suddenly anybody in construction was mad mental busy. Um, I found it a little bit overwhelming, to be honest. I couldn't cope with the amount of new inquiries that were coming in. So we actually took the decision that we were going to limit the... That was the other thing. We, di- we didn't feel comfortable going into several different people's houses in a day. So that meant that, that that had a big knock-on effect on how much work we could physically do. And people didn't seem to understand that you know, like there was queues in the supermarkets, you're going to have a queue for a tradesperson because they're really busy. The good thing that came out of it for me was <clears throat> I decided to cut my working hours considerably because I was I was getting to the point of, of being in burnout. So it actually did me a bit of a favour in that it allowed me to stand still and reflect more on what was really important in life. And that certainly isn't work. That might sound weird when you're self-employed, but you know, there is more to life. So, yeah, and now, well, I mean, I live in Essex and I'm not really sure what level we're at. I think we're supposed to be in quite a severe level at the moment, but my phone's still ringing and people are still happy to have work done. So it's it's, it, it's odd, um, but it's one day at a time at the moment. Who knows what's going to happen next? If you think about it, though, everything needs power, doesn't it? Everything yeah. needs power. So as an electrician, you're never going to be out of work unless you're really, really bad at what you do. So, yeah, um, COVID, I don't know. Don't know what the future holds, really, but it hasn't. It won't affect me as long as there's a need for electricity. We were having a chat about social media and digital communications and this idea that there's so many different communications channels now. And it's kind of like this always on culture and people will be like, oh, I need uh, an electrical job doing, I'm going to call Karen at eight o'clock on a Sunday night because I can. And there's that kind of need to kind of insulate, I'm going to say, sorry, that's a really bad pun, insulate yourself. Sorry, Karen. Yes. (laughs) You can need to protect yourself and uh, yeah, yeah, manage that because there's just so many communication channels now. There's WhatsApp and there's your mobile and there's everything going on. So yeah, how, how do you do that? Oh, well, it is. It can be a bit overwhelming some days because people try and contact me using various different formats and there are so many. And that's fair enough. But there's nothing worse. But maybe as someone has suggested to me that I should have a work phone and a, you know, personal phone. 
The problem with that is that I do quite a lot of work for vulnerable people and old people. I would I would be mortified if I woke up on a Monday morning, switched my work phone on and found that I'd got, you know, four missed calls from Doris in the old people's home because she's scared because her lights won't work. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. That maybe it's because I'm a woman, I don't know. But that would uh, that would not sit right with me and I'd be really upset about yeah. that. So um, and I don't know, if you think about it, I remember being a child when shops weren't open on a Sunday, you know, and you had to, and you couldn't do anything on a Sunday because nothing was open. There was no internet, you know, basically you went and played with your mates. That's what you did on Sunday or went to Sunday school or both. But now we live in this 24-7 switched on society, don't we, where everything's available. I mean, you can order something from the internet in the morning and it can be with you the same day yeah two hours sometimes yeah and it's crazy you know and then sometimes people will i'll wake up in the morning and i'll see someone's emailed me and then i'll go off to work and then literally at about midday they phone me and they go i sent you an email this morning and you haven't replied to it and i'm like uh no that's because i'm in somebody's loft <laughs> like, <laughs> and, but, but for them that's their main priority but for me it's got to wait until the end of the day. Do you see what I'm saying? So yeah. it's just, you know, I think we do have to create a level of understanding with our customers that, you know, whilst their issue is important, it's one of many issues that we're dealing with. Does that make sense? And it's like a, a triage service, yes. isn't it? Like in a hospital where you're saying, right, okay, this has happened, this has happened, and this has happened, and you're kind of priority one, two, or three. If you've got no yeah. power whatsoever, and Doris yeah. in the old people's home is sat in the dark on her own, yeah. that's priority one. Whereas yes. if there's something, somebody's, you know, something's fused or something and it's minor, then it can wait. Yes. And, there is, and that is very true. And I find it, when I first started out, I found it very difficult to say no to anybody. It took me a few years to understand that it was okay for me to say no because I had to protect my own sanity. Does that make sense? And whilst I didn't like it, I also have to remember that I have a choice of who I work for. I don't have to work for people that I don't want to for whatever reason that might be. Um, But I think that just comes with experience of running your own business. So it's a, it's a hard one to learn yeah but there's yeah some people are better fit than others yes yes in a nice way yeah in a nice way and you know i just i find it really it, it, and it's this comes down to quoting as well i it's quoting is time consuming because obviously you've got to go out and look at the job and you've got to come back and then you might have to do a bit of product research then you've got to collate prices then you've got to, that's for the materials. And then you've got to think about how long it's going to take you. So you've got to add that on. Um, and then you have to prepare the quote and then you have to send it via whatever method to the client. Now, for me, I'm always been a, okay, the price is the price. This is what I'm getting in that price. And I believe that people buy people because in for the customer, it doesn't really matter how long it's going to take unless it's, you know, time critical and they don't need to understand the ins and outs of everything that's going to happen because they didn't go to sparky school you know so it's not my job whilst there's a certain amount of education and empowerment for information some people just they want to know everything they want you to break it down they want to know how much the screws are they want to know what your labor rate is and really that's none of their business you know so 
that's that's a hard one for me as well when people say oh thanks for your quote but can you break it down what actually happens is they go right down to the bottom of the priority list because i don't want to spend my time breaking the quote down i've got other people that i'd rather work for who are perfectly happy with the price is the price so that again is a hard one to learn as well but i guess that comes from just being more confident about what you can do again so there is a fit in your business model and those are the people that don't really fit in mine so yeah it's an interesting one yeah absolutely and you're involved in setting up a register of tradeswomen, which sounds very exciting. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I'll tell you a bit about that. So I was talking to you earlier and saying that there were no real role models out there. About, I think I'd been in the job about three years and I had the amazing fortune to meet Hattie Hassan, MBE. Um, Who Hattie, we also know and love here at Womanthology. We've known Hattie for a long yeah, time. Yeah. And it was funny, our paths crossed in a really weird way. We, she, she'd been approached by a production company to appear in a TV programme, and they wanted an electrician as well. So she found me on the internet, and she contacted me and said, oh, would you like to come and meet the producer? I was like, yeah, okay. So we got chatting. The, the programme never went ahead anyway, um, but we got chatting, which was really good. And we stayed in touch via social media, really. And then a few years later, Hattie started to run she used to organize um a conference for women women plumbers and um it was a one-day event she got fantastic support from industry and it was I, I i found out about it on the internet and i emailed her and i said i'd really really like to come she said well we've almost sold out of tickets she said so you won't get one she said but if you'd like to come and help like you know check people in or give out the goodie bags or whatever, then that would be brilliant. So I was like, great. So I went along to the very first one and it was absolutely amazing. She had a really inspirational speaker who, who was a woman and oh, it was just, every, she, everybody in the room was totally captivated by the speech and it was just a really good day about the empowerment of women, if that makes sense. And there's no real reason that women can't do anything that Amanda's so anyway Hattie and I've kept in touch and I've helped at other events that she's organized and then in lockdown and because of COVID obviously she was finding that she couldn't work as much as she wanted to and she's always her along with 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 Micah have always had this thing about you know creating a register of tradeswomen but it's always seemed to be too big to do so she found that she had time on her hands and she was like, right, I'm just going to do it. So we chatted about it and she decided to do a crowdfunding launch to raise funds, which was fantastic. Again, it's been really well supported by industry. But what I think what it's important to make the distinction about is this is a register of tradeswomen. It's not a directory. So the difference for that really means that if you're on the register, what's going to happen is stopcocks or the register is actually going to manage the work so the register will take calls from members of the public they will see if they can find someone to do that job in whatever area they will contact the tradeswoman you can then accept or decline the work depending on how busy you are you get to go and do the quote you get to set your price you tell stopcocks what that price is what they do is they put a small percentage on top of that 
which is very transparent. When the quote goes to the customer, that percentage is declared. So the customer knows exactly what it is. But the money that's on top of the job is going directly towards a training centre for women. And it will hopefully directly um, be used to empower survivors of domestic abuse. You know, quite often when women when women flee their home for whatever reason, they go with absolutely nothing. Their self-esteem is on the floor. And a really good way to help build yourself back up is to is by doing something, doing something useful, doing something practical. So this is going to be really exciting because we're going to be reaching out to refugees and letting them know that this resource is available. Wow. And um, I said to Hattie, you know, this is, this is more than just a registrar. This is a legacy. It's going to still be there when we're not. So, um, yeah, I mean, Hattie and Mika are doing all the hard work. I'm just doing a lot of publicity. I, am, I decided I wanted to do something to mark She's Electric's 10th birthday, which is next year. Happy birthday and next year. Yeah, I had this idea that I was like racking my brains thinking, how can I raise more money? You know, how can I raise more funds for this register? And I thought, I know, I could produce a calendar. <laughs> so, I love it. What's going to be on the calendar, Karen? Well, I've reached out to industry who have been fantastically supportive. So I've got, I've got 12 electrical companies that have all sponsored a page okay so they've they've paid for their own page they've also sent me a product that they'd like to be featured on their page all of the products will go into a draw so whoever buys a calendar we can win one of these um, prizes and i've got some fantastic fantastic this is going to be people are going to go wow i might win that because it's really good you know industry have been really generous um, and then, yeah, so my idea is that um, I'll sell calendars. Hopefully somebody will buy them. <laughs> we'll buy one. I'll buy one, Karen. Excellent. Definitely. Put so, me yeah, down. So um, the calendar is uh, it's going to be a little bit... I, I've got Sarah Toon, who is an award-winning construction photographer, wow. turning up tomorrow and Thursday. And we're going to go off and shoot with the products. I have no idea at this moment in time what it's going to look like um because she's the clever creative person i just stand there posing with drills and stuff but i'm actually going to meet hattie tomorrow as well i say you know i couldn't find a role model so i decided to be one and yeah i do i want girls and other women to be able to find me and that has to be on social media because that's where everybody is and to and to look at what i've achieved and to say that's what's possible you know because i just don't think i think it's a shame because we've spent the last two decades educating our children into believing that you know unless they've got six a star a levels then they're you know then they're not they're not clever and also that you know that working with your hands and actually building stuff and making things is something that you'll only be encouraged to do if you're not clever enough to do anything else and it, it's that which is just so completely archaic of course it is if you i mean you know i'm not blowing my own trumpet here but if you followed me around for a day and you see some of the complex equations that i have to work out 
and all of the other stuff that goes into my job, you know, using complicated test equipment, you know, handling a big drill. It's really a degree level career, but you just don't have a degree. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like yeah, sometimes yeah. it's beyond a degree level. You know, some days I come home and I think my head's going to burst. But yeah, so that's kind of so that's the register anyway. And yeah, I want uh, the calendar. I want the images that are used on there to be put up in school notice boards and to go out to careers advice offices because we just don't see enough women in trades. And if you okay, so here's a challenge for you. Once we finish the call, you go to Google and you type in stock photos oh 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 this is this is my life karen because the number of times i've uh, interviewed somebody i'm I'm trying to find some pictures and it's always sexy electrician yeah or or even with doctors it would be like sexy doctor whatever and you're like no 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 you're just googling yeah and then it just comes up with something completely ridiculous okay and here's something for you to think about if you know being if being brave is so difficult also why is it that men, if you see on any of the gaming platforms that you look at, the men are always dressed in full chainmail, but the women, they only need to wear a bikini chainmail, don't they? Because <laughs> <laughs> clearly <gasps> there's something wrong. Oh, it's bad. This is the message, though, that we are subconsciously sending out to our young people, and it's totally wrong. And what is your advice to girls and women who are interested in getting into the trades, but they're not sure where to start? And also from the the corporate side, because there's a lot of corporates and construction companies that are looking to get a more diverse workforce. What should they do to attract that diverse workforce? Because I've heard all sorts of stories about things like the facilities that are provided for for women and and, and those types of things. Well, yeah, that's two prongs there. Um, the first thing is, and I didn't realise this until recently, um, I found out that when, like, if girls and boys, actually, whoever, goes off to college and they, or a training centre, and they do the, their electrical qualifications, they are only ever guided down the commercial route. They're never told about the opportunities that exist in the domestic sector. And they are encouraged to go and work on a site, you know, and get a gold card and a jib card and all this. Now, I don't really know a lot about site work, but I am on a couple of sort of Facebook pages where, you know, women, it's an all-female electricians group. And I do hear some horror stories. And I also, I, I, I mentor quite a lot of people in the background. And I had a lady, a young girl come to me recently. She'd been offered an apprenticeship in the city, which she was fantastically excited about she turned up at this construction site she was given no health and safety briefing she was escorted to the 16th floor of this office block she was put in a room with two Albanian men who spoke no English and asked to assemble flat pack furniture she no longer wants to be an electrician because she just doesn't think she's cut out for it so what, what can companies do? Well, companies can stop things like that from happening, you know. I was speaking to, I've, speaking to several other colleagues about this recently, training providers and lecturers. Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be any um, 
anybody going around checking on these apprenticeships, you know, you could be really lucky and get into a really good company. I mean, Pimlico, Pimlico Plumbing, they recently, um, you know, publicised that they put uh, a female Sparky, you know, through her training and she's now out there working on her own. And that's fantastic. And they've got a really good brand. And obviously, they've got a good ethos in their apprenticeship model. However, there's some companies out there that are using the apprenticeship levy to just fund cheap labour because that's the only way that they can get their money back out of the levy is to say, oh, yeah, we've got 10 apprentices. What those apprentices are actually doing, nobody really checks on. And I think that is where the things go fundamentally wrong. You know, I've got a friend's son who served a five-year apprenticeship with an electrical contracting company when the Olympic Park was being built. And he just spent five years pulling steel wire armour around the Olympic Park. He didn't actually learn anything else. And, you know, obviously there's always going to be good good stories and bad stories. And I'm sure there's some really good stories out there. There are. But I just think companies, yeah, they've got to be, unless they get their apprenticeship model sorted out, um, you're always going to come across this kind of thing happening. And it's a shame because... You know, that's going to affect that young person's life. The other thing I would say, though, is it's totally mad that the government is willing to fund nine grand to go to uni, right, for a pointless degree that might, you know, not ever go anywhere. I would love it if the government would give me nine grand. You give me nine grand as a, as a, as a, you know, a small company, it's just me, and you send an apprentice to me, and I could churn out the most amazing electrician because I've got a lot of skills and experience. You know, I'm going to be 51 next week. If if I don't, if I can never train anybody, that's going to be quite sad, actually. I, I read some weird statistic the other day that the average age of a tradesperson is 47. So where 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 are all these skills and experience going to go? But you know, and we are facing a massive skill shortage. So it's bonkers, isn't it? If something doesn't happen soon, this is only going to get worse, and it will get worse before it gets better. But hopefully, with the register, then if women and girls are wanting to get into this kind of work, then they've got a port of call. Absolutely, and that's the other thing that the register will do. It will have mentorship attached to it for anybody that wants it it will have a sense of community attached to it for anybody that wants it it will allow people to network i mean i go into four electrical wholesalers at the moment and they've all told me that there's nobody yet there's no other females electricians for a good 50 mile radius of where i am i mean that's bad isn't it and if i I, I'm, i'm lucky i've got some fantastic male sparkies that I've networked with that I can call on for support but there's a lot of women that are not fortunate enough to be in that position so it will allow women to chat with women because women understand what women's challenges are and they'll be able to empathize so yeah the register is it's not that's why I keep saying it's not just a register (laughs) it's so much more than that it's it's yeah it encompasses so many great things so it's going to be fantastic, but we need to get the message out there. Um, you know, Hattie's got a lovely quote 
if we can't be counted, we don't count, you know. It would be fantastic for research purposes to know actually how many female tradespeople there actually are because we seem to get these weird statistics that are banded about saying, oh, yeah, we're increasing the amount of women in our workforce. I think the last time any research was done, they took into account female administration people on site, you know, and, well, they're not female tradespeople, are they? <laughs> so it's all a bit, it's all a bit bonkers. But, we, you know, we, we have to start somewhere and this is where we're starting. So it's exciting. It is. And I think there's that whole idea as well of sometimes treating, if you are in the trades, treating you like a bit of a unicorn and you're this rare mythical yeah. creature. Yeah. So it's almost, there's a tendency to do that just by virtue of there's so few, but yes. actually if we, if things start to change, we start to get some more numbers, then it, you're, you know, you're not just the story because you're a unicorn. Absolutely. There's a lot more, yeah. you're more than a unicorn, Karen, much more. Well, I got interviewed by a local radio station and I was interviewed, I was, I was introduced as, and now we have Karen Boone. Karen is a female electrician. Oh, but you wouldn't introduce Andrew the plumber as, this is Andrew and he's a male plumber. No. You wouldn't say that, would you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What's well, there's that Twitter account. Um, I think it's still going. It's got huge now and I think it's got books and stuff. Uh, um, at man who has it all. And it's loads right. of kind of quotes like that. It's going, oh, uh, Andrew, male, space, woman, and, and things yeah. like that. Just silly things <laughs> like that. So uh, we, 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 we like that. So, um, but yeah, it's tricky. We yeah. are trying to change and it's not going to happen overnight. Um, but we just got to keep chipping away at it as best we can. And the other thing I'd like to point out about this, the register is, we're not doing this because we don't like men. That's really not what we're, that's really not what we're about. I love men, okay, to bits. And I'm fortunate enough to be supported by some amazing men. What, well, this is just a, a call to action. This is something we've been asked to do. We, I say we, I'm talking about Hattie and, and Micah in particular. They get so many inquiries from the general public saying, oh, I'd like to get an all-female trades trade in my home to do this piece of work, whatever that is, whether it's a new bathroom or a new kitchen or, you know, an extension or whatever. And Hattie and Mika spend quite a lot of time dealing with those sorts of inquiries. And it's, you know, this is what people want. They want the choice. That's really, that, and that is what it's all about. It's not because... We're all going, oh, you know, we don't like men and men are rubbish and, you know, we can do it better. That's not, that's really not the message that we're trying to get out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, we're in agreement there. Good. So what is coming up next for you, Karen? We've had a bit of a, a bit of a chat about the register and about the calendar. What else is coming up for you? What are you looking <sighs> forward to? What are you excited about? I really don't know. I'm excited to get this year over. I feel like we need to get this year over. And then we need to wake up in January. And, uh, it'll all have been a bit of a nightmare. Um, I really don't know. My my ideal would be, I mean, I you know, like I said, I'm going to be 51 next week. I don't really still want to be scrabbling around in the office when I'm 55 because it's not the most glamorous of things to be doing. Um I really would love to get involved more in the training centre. You know, my background is training. So I've got quite a lot of skills to offer in that department. 
I love the, the reason that I, I, I liked training so much, I think, is because I love it when people have the light bulb moment, pardon the pun. When you see somebody who didn't understand something and then they suddenly get it, that is just, for me, a fantastic feeling. And I think, yeah, I've got a lot of skills to offer there. Also, um, I think I'd, I'd like to get involved in mentoring. You know, I do that at the moment in the background but that could be become more of a formal thing for me to do um yeah and i don't know i'm really excited about the future because i just don't know what's going to happen next what i'm really hoping is that diy sos contacts me and say would you like to be the next billy because again that's a hugely chauvinistic program isn't it i mean all of the trades people are men with the exception of the interior designer who's a woman i mean well sometimes that's a man too yeah sometimes that's a man too i mean how have they managed to get away with that for so long i suppose part of it is who turns up isn't it when they when they rock up somewhere so i've seen the tweets before where they're saying we're going to be in chelmsford or something yeah and then part of it i think is who turns up to be fair to nick knowles he has once i've tagged him in one of our stories and he's retweeted once so i know so um but yes i suppose it's by virtue of yeah who turns up but then equally it would be good to address that and have a kind of a proactive stance to that yeah but the main team are all men aren't they yeah they're all the plasterers plasterers are men the electricians are man you know the plumbers are man that's true yeah yeah i hadn't thought of that yeah we, right okay so maybe 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 next gig for you well I, i'm waiting for the bbc to phone me like literally every time the phone rings i'm like it's in the bbc <laughs> <laughs> well well you heard it here first so let's see what yeah. we can let's put the word out uh, and let's, quick. <laughs> let's see what we can do I, th- I think you'd be brilliant I would watch you I would tune in without a doubt absolutely I was crying that as well though I cry oh no it is it's a bit of a heart wrencher isn't it but you know it's good but yes so will you keep in touch with us and so we can follow your progress and yes. uh, say hattie to say hattie <laughs> say <laughs> say hattie say hi to hattie and micah for us as well yeah will do and uh, yeah so we will keep in touch and we will keep sharing keep spreading the love and keep breaking breaking down the barriers absolutely brilliant so thank you so much for your time karen thank you it's a pleasure Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also subscribe. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. That's all for now, but join us in the next episode where we'll be hearing from women who are bringing others together and collectively moving mountains despite the odds, despite the pandemic, in our Better Together issue. For now... Take care and stay safe.